This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You must Welcome to You Must Remember This, the podcast dedicated to exploring the secret and or forgotten histories of Hollywood's first century. I'm your host, Karina Longworth. What you're about to hear is a preview of the new season of You Must Remember This. This is the first 15 minutes or so of the first episode of the new season, which will be dropping in full next week. The season will run 10 episodes, with a new episode dropping every Tuesday through the end of July. This preview will introduce you to this season's thrilling story of one woman's journey through the ringer of 60s and 70s Hollywood, her emergence in the 80s and 90s as the right-hand person to one of the era's most powerful writer-director-producers, and her struggle to assert herself as an artist in an industry that has never been kind to female iconoclasts. Come back next week for the full season premiere, in which we'll start telling this fascinating story. Over the course of the past six years, we've told stories spanning the whole of the 20th century, from the first stars of the silent era, all the way through the classical Hollywood era, the new Hollywood, and into the 80s and 90s. Today, we begin a new season which will encompass most of those eras. But we will begin in the early 21st century. On August 12, 2011, The Hollywood Reporter ran a several-page spread memorializing Polly Platt, who had died of ALS at the age of 72 about two weeks earlier. This expanded remembrance included quotes from stars such as Jeff Bridges, William Hurt, and Danny DeVito, Oscar-winning writer-directors Cameron Crowe and James L. Brooks, as well as Polly's ex-husband, Peter Bogdanovich. It was a remarkable and a remarkably large tribute from one of the industry's key trade papers to a woman who is probably best known as the odd woman out in a love triangle between Bogdanovich and Sybil Shepard, the ingenue of Bogdanovich's breakthrough film, The Last Picture Show. Professionally, Polly Platt was most recognized while she was alive as a production designer. Her only Oscar nomination came in 1984 
for her work in that capacity on the Best Picture winner of that year, Terms of Endearment. But Polly did a lot more on Terms of Endearment than simply oversee the look of the film. On that movie, and many others, she acted as an uncredited producer, unofficial writer, and de facto talent whisperer. Her success in all of those capacities on Terms of Endearment would lead to a position as an executive at Brooks's production company, Gracie Films, where she was credited as a producer on Broadcast News and was instrumental in developing the careers of J.J. Abrams, Cameron Crowe, and Wes Anderson. She also played a role in the most financially rewarding aspect of James L. Brooks's legacy, The Simpsons. And all of that happened in the third act of Polly's career. In the first act, Polly had been Bogdanovich's closest collaborator. Their marriage ended after Peter fell in love with Sybil, and Polly forced him to choose between his girlfriend and his wife and their two daughters, then-infant Sashi and three-year-old Antonia. Though Polly and Peter separated after the last picture show shoot, they continued to work together on two additional films, What's Up, Doc? and Paper Moon, both of which were massive hits. By the time Polly died in 2011, Bogdanovich's life and career, after much tumult, had slowed down. He had only directed one theatrically released feature since the early 1990s. Though Polly had not been part of Peter's work for almost 40 years, her death inspired a referendum on his career and talents, perhaps more than hers. Ryan O'Neill, one of the biggest stars of the 70s, who had appeared in two of the four films Polly and Peter made together and had played a character partially inspired by Bogdanovich in a film loosely based on Polly and Peter's divorce, described Polly in The Hollywood Reporter as, quote, a spectacular woman and as much a director as her husband. It was a terrible loss when she stopped making pictures with Peter. There was an emptiness and a sadness. There was nobody to tell him what wasn't working, and he resented it when told he wasn't as good without her. At Polly's memorial service, organized by her surviving family, O'Neill made similar comments. The difference was, at the memorial, Bogdanovich had been in the audience. It was a public airing out of a narrative that had been floating in the ether for over 30 years. I know Peter hates this because he doesn't think it's so, but Peter's films with Polly were different than Peter's films without Polly. This is Barbara Boyle, a lawyer and producer who ran Roger Corman's company and was friends with Polly for decades. With Polly, they were good. By himself, they weren't. I mean, that, that's an easy one. Look at the grosses, look at the reviews. There are two uh, pretty definite meters, uh, methods of, of uh, evaluation that Hollywood uses. The reviews, which 
aren't really as important as the as the revenue but if the revenue fails and at least you have good reviews there's some comfort in that but when you have neither there's no comfort Rachel Abramowitz wrote the definitive magazine profile of Polly Platt for Premier magazine in 1993 I mean the article in Premier really sort of crystallized this idea maybe rightly or wrongly that you know she was a forgotten woman. She'd been incredibly important to all these successes. And now she'd sort of been erased from history. And there's always a mythology about Peter and Polly. And it's sort of one of these unanswerable questions is, and it probably drives, drives Peter crazy, is this like when Peter and Polly broke up, Peter's professional fortunes declined and his, his movies were never as successful. And so then there's sort of like reverse engineering. Why was that possible? Why did that happen? And then Polly proceeded to work with other people who were very successful. It's sort of why she's kind of totemic for a lot of women. It's sort of like the story of the woman who puts her husband through med school. But it's even more because it's like she puts her husband through med school and she does the operations with him. And then he becomes a doctor and she's like cast aside like she's never done anything. And it's playing out in public with movie stars. MGM's genius producer of the 1930s, Irving Thalberg, once said, Screen credit is only valuable when it's given you. If you're in a position to give yourself credit, you don't need it. Eight years after Platt's death, in a March 2019 interview with Vulture.com, Bogdanovich forcefully disputed the idea that credit for his early accomplishments should be shared with his ex-wife. It's bullshit. She took credit for things she had nothing to do with, he said, naming among those things the discovery of both Sybil Shepard and the Larry McMurtry novel that The Last Picture Show was based on. Bogdanovich added, yeah, she lied. She did earn a lot of credit, but she didn't direct anything. Bogdanovich's declaration that Polly Platt lied about her contributions to his films defies the picture of his ex-wife painted by many who knew her, who describe her as brutally honest, sometimes to a fault. As Rachel Abramowitz puts it, I never found her to be a liar. I mean, I sort of think, like, if you're going to do people and their ex-spouses, I'm sure they're both going to accuse each other of being liars. The thing that my mom always said to me, she just said I was his wife and I was helping him. You know, it wasn't about credit. It was about the movie and it was about making the best movie, you know, with her husband. That's the voice of Sashi Bogdanovich, Peter and Polly's youngest daughter. I think that the really hard part in between my parents was that eventually she did start to claim credit because Peter, my dad, kept denying credit. And, and everybody in the business kept heaping things on her, saying she was the woman behind the man. And, you know, over the years, I've tried to explain this to my dad. It's, it wasn't her always saying that. It was everyone else saying it. She started to take credit. She started, well, maybe, no, she didn't start to take credit. She started to point out what she did, what her contribution was on the films. And then you can take it from there, you know. I mean, there's certain things that people love about those films. And my mom had a huge hand in those things. But people did say that she directed them, and that's what makes my dad really mad. It is true that Polly Platt never officially directed anything. And a lot of people who knew her, or who watched her career, wondered why. 
There are a lot of reasons, which we'll talk about throughout this season, but many of the challenges Polly faced later had to do with the generation she was part of. Polly and Peter entered the industry as the studio system as it had existed since the late silent era was dying. And for the first time, the doors were thrown open to let in a new generation of filmmakers, many of whom were both writers and directors, who changed the notion of what could constitute a hit Hollywood film and became celebrities in their own right. This group of filmmakers, whose lives and careers have been extensively chronicled in documentaries and books like Easy Riders Raging Bulls, was almost entirely male. Many of these male auteurs had female romantic partners who also acted as creative collaborators. And in most cases, the contributions of those female collaborators has been overlooked. During their marriage, Polly didn't think dividing credit mattered. She thought she and her husband would work together in perfect collaboration forever, even though there were signs that Hollywood was not a hospitable place for a husband and wife creative team, and that in the world Peter wanted to move in, there was an expectation and ample opportunity for him to pursue different kinds of women. At some point in the late 60s, Polly and Peter were eating lunch with Howard Hawks, the great director of films like Bringing Up Baby, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, and Red River, and his date, Sherry Lansing. Lansing was then about 25 and trying to be an actress. This was years before she'd become the first female head of a major studio. She was unknown, but she had the beauty and grace of a movie star. At one point during the meal, Lansing excused herself to go to the ladies' room. As Polly recalled, She stood up, and she was gorgeous. And I was not. Peter and Howard watched her. I remember having Howard on my right and Peter on my left, and their eyes were following her. Once Lansing was out of view and out of earshot, Polly claimed that Hawks leaned across her to say to Polly's husband, Peter, now that is the kind of girl you should be with. Polly thought, It's like I don't exist. Polly Platt felt invisible then, and she's essentially invisible now. Despite her key involvement in what are considered to be some of the best movies of the 1970s and 80s, Polly Platt is hardly a household name. At the end of the day, while there's been much discussion of Bogdanovich's movies post-Polly Platt, there's been little consideration of Polly Platt's extremely significant career post-Peter Bogdanovich. Her story has never been told in full. Until now. Over a year ago, Sashi Bogdanovich shared with me an unpublished, unfinished memoir that her mother, Polly Platt, wrote over the course of the last years of her life. She started writing it after she had, like, retired. She definitely wrote it over about a 10 to 15-year period, you know. She definitely put it away the last five years of her life. Um, she really didn't like it. She was like, I don't like it. It's too much gossip. 
feels like a Hollywood memoir. I told her, I'm like, I don't think it's gossip. I think it's exactly what you experienced. You were there for all everything you're talking about. The memoir crystallizes a certain aspect of the reputation that Polly earned over her time in Hollywood as someone who forcefully spoke her mind, even or especially when no one wanted to hear her unvarnished opinions. She was seen as a truth teller. I think this I is Polly's eldest daughter, Antonia Bogdanovich. After she passed away, you know, a lot of her colleagues, contemporaries, people she worked with were calling me. It was really nice. And Cameron called me on the Polly had produced Say Anything, Cameron Crowe's directorial debut. We had this long talk, and I knew that they had had their challenges on Say Anything because he had never directed, and, you know, she was... She was, you know, they, they, I mean, they didn't clash. They got along, but there were some issues, and my mom would always fight for what she believed in. So I wasn't sure how he felt about her 20 years later or whatever. And he goes, you know, I only appreciated your mother later as I got more and more successful because I had so many people stab me in the back. He's like, Polly always stabbed me in the front. And the way he said it in the delivery of it, because Cameron's very funny, I was like, that's so true. And I've used that line, she stabbed me in the front. You, you would, she would never say something behind your back, ever. And I think Americans are used to that kind of secretive, like, gossipy, and she was not like that. So you'd have to have a really tough skin, but you have to have a tough skin in Hollywood anyways, right? Platt, who was 72 when she died, abandoned the memoir before writing about the end of her career. But she did write in detail about the first 55 years of her life, from her birth in 1939 through the beginning of post-production on her last satisfying experience as a film producer on Wes Anderson's Bottle Rocket. I've spent the past year fleshing out Polly Platt's unfinished memoir with archival research and interviews with some of the people who knew Polly best and worked with her closely. Over the next 10 weeks, I'm going to tell her story. In telling Polly Platt's story, we'll be able to reframe the Easy Rider's Raging Bulls narrative of the end of the classical Hollywood studio system and the reformation of that system as a factory for blockbusters— through the lens of a woman who was not only there, but who struggled to have a significant voice within a changing system that was still rigidly sexist, and, to a remarkable extent, succeeded. Polly wasn't able to realize all of her big ambitions, and the stories of some of her failures and struggles are more fascinating than most people's wins. Hers is a grand story of a 20th century life, as full of adventure and heartbreak, triumph and tragedy, romance and self-destruction, as that of any of the great men of Hollywood who have been the subjects of doorstop biographies. The difference here is that even if you think you know who Polly Platt was, you don't know the whole story. So join us here, starting May 26th, for 10 episodes about the extraordinary life and work of Polly Platt. Thanks for listening to You Must Remember This. 
Today's episode was produced, written, and narrated by Karina Longworth. That's me. Special thanks to our special guest, Maggie Siff, who read the words of Polly Platt from Polly's unpublished memoir, It Was Worth It, and other sources. Today's episode included excerpts from interviews with Barbara Boyle, Rachel Abramowitz, Sashi Bogdanovich, and Antonia Bogdanovich. Special thanks to them and everyone else who took the time to talk about Polly Platt with us. Our research and production assistant is Lindsay D. Schoenholtz. Brendan Whalen is in charge of our social media and does additional research assistance. Additional research assistance and transcription by Kristen Sales and Wiley Wiggins. Our logo was designed by Teddy Blanks. Today's episode was produced by Tomika Weatherspoon and edited by Brendan Burns. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Josephine Martirana. For more information about this episode and other episodes, please go to our website, youmustrememberthispodcast.com. There you'll find show notes, which include all of our sources, information about music, and much more. If you like the show, please tell anyone you can, any way that you can. You can follow us on Twitter, at RememberThisPod, and we're also on Instagram and Facebook. And you can support the show on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash Karina Longworth or buy merch for our show at podswag.com slash remember. Keep up with all of our episodes by subscribing on Stitcher or wherever you find your podcasts. We'll be back next week with another tale from the secret and or forgotten histories of Hollywood's first century. Join us then, won't you? Good night. Stitcher. 